If you haven't seen it, that's the theme music, Eliza's theme from Shape of Water. Wonderful movie. Think 50s sci-fi romance. Nice. And put everything else to the side and just enjoy the wonderful photography. Ooh. Very different story and just really neat music. Yeah. It deservedly won the Oscar. And just in case you don't notice, uh, audience, Tom picks out some really nice music. That was to... Uh, to compliment the fact that Cam Davis is running for Water Reclamation District. And I, I love when you make oh, those connections. Oh, that's the connection. It was also oh, to yeah. soothe into the next topic with our friend He's Mark Miller, who's mellow. going to jolt us <laughs> right. into how we deal with trauma. And it's a really fascinating take, Mark. We, we haven't had a chance to read the book because it's just out. Yes. But we've heard excerpts, uh, seen some excerpts and some great reviews already. And in fact, I thought the, the, the take in Chronicle Philanthropy was really interesting. And not to get ahead of this yeah. conversation, what people do with trauma in their lives, I think, is a really interesting approach that you've taken here. So uh, longtime editor, writer, uh, colleague of mine during my days of the Community Media Workshop, Mark Miller, why did you write this particular book? So um, for about the last 10 years uh, since I left local media, I've been specializing in writing nationally about topics related to retirement and aging. And one of the things that first got me interested in that was people making midlife career and life changes. And I just thought, thought it was just an interesting phenomenon, kind of a baby boomer thing going on out there. And I've continued to track that, although I cover a wide array of topics within the retirement and aging space, things like Social Security and healthcare and public policy topics. But within this topic of people making changes in their lives, over the years, interviewing people, I started noticing when I would ask, well, what is it that made, motivated you to make this change from place A to place B in your life? I would start getting these readbacks of terrible traumatic things that had happened, that had just stopped this person cold in their tracks, made them rethink everything about their life, and then they're off on this new pathway. So they've come out of these awful traumatic events experiencing what you might call a growth experience. And um, I was hearing it enough that I wanted to know more about it. So I researched and wrote a feature magazine piece about it in 2015. And in doing the research, I stumbled across a whole school of research uh, in the world of psychology and that this has been under study for many years and the people who pioneered the research had given it a name and the name is post-traumatic growth syndrome. Huh. So now I'm going, oh, it's a thing. It's not <laughs> just me hearing these random stories. So I would, now I'm really intrigued and that's how I decided to write the book. And the book goes well beyond just the, the kind of the career change thing. It also goes well beyond stories of older people, that was my starting point. But it, you know, I interview a wide array of different types of people who have had a lot of different types of traumatic events in their lives, and then a lot of different types of growth responses. Sometimes it's a social mission. You know, I'm, I'm out to, many times it's, I want to address the problem that impa impacted me, but not exclusively that. And um, sometimes they're more subtle internal responses. Uh, what is the most traumatic experience that you uh, include in your book? Uh, I think it's a hard question because there's some pretty a horrendous stories. Fine. A really uh, horrendous one is the story of Marietta Yeager, who in the 1970s was on a camping trip in Montana with her husband and parents and kids, and her seven-year-old daughter was abducted out of their tent in the middle of the night by, it turned out, a serial killer who had subsequently was found out had was responsible for the deaths of a number of children and it was two years before they found out what happened to Susie. Um, Marietta was a housewife in Detroit in the 1970s and her 
story of transformation is she um, came to a point of forgiveness of the killer. She actually tried to argue to get him off death row. Wow. Uh, the, Those the, people blow my mind. The murderer wound up committing suicide in jail. So the death row thing was taken off the table. Marietta, however, went on to become a lifelong death penalty abolitionist. And when I say lifelong, wow. she's that now in her... That just gives me chills. When I, when I say lifelong, she's now in her 80s. And she travels the world. She's part of a, an amazing group of people called the Journey of Hope, which annually gets together to campaign against the death penalty. They typically go to death penalty states like Texas. So they go to the death belt and they'll campaign against the death penalty. They stage an annual protest outside the Supreme Court. And Marietta is an incredible person, the, the strength and uh, courage she has demonstrated. So to me, that's the most devastating story. But there's a, there's a lot of them in the so book. So <laughs> how does the post-traumatic growth or jolt occur? Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there are many paths, but right. is there so a similarity? I, I think the essence of it is that it's an experience that blows apart your sense of your life. Okay. Now, all, you know, we walk around with kind of a self-constructed sense of what our lives are, right? The yep. town I live in, the, my family, my friends, the, the radio show I do every Saturday, sure. all these things that are just our, <laughs> our worldview. That's right. And uh, trauma of this type blows that up. And you, people are forced to put, put something back together. And in many cases, what they're trying to do is restore a sense of meaning and purpose in their life. Mm. And so it's like a clean slate. And people just, it just can result in these very dramatic transformations. So you've covered people who actually do put something new and possibly better back together in their lives. What, what about people who don't experience that yeah. kind of growth? So that was something I was very concerned about in writing the book because mm -hmm. um, the last thing I want, number one, the last thing I wanted to convey here to people who are suffering a traumatic life experience was that there's something wrong with you if you don't experience yeah. this. And that's not the message at all. This mm -hmm. is something that does happen in some cases. In fact, it happens fairly frequently. The a little tangent to your question that I'm going to come back oh, to. Oh, go it. crazy! We're full we, of tangents. You guys do a lot of tangents <laughs> yeah, here, so forgive me, Ryan. Uh, we're good at this. <laughs> you know, the, the psychologists who treat people in clinical settings on this stuff talk about never wanting to have an expectation of growth. If the person they're treating seems to be moving that way, then they want to explore it and and you know encourage it if they can. But they uh -huh. never try to put it out there that you should be having this experience. Right. So I actually have a chapter on this. This like what happens if you don't have this? I actually interview a couple of people who didn't who not only didn't have the experience but are sort of a little bit ticked, ticked off. Ticked off, yes, um, yes. Yeah, one is the writer Megan Dom in New York who uh, wrote a great op-ed about a near death experience that she had uh, and uh, from a virus. So this is random thing and the headline on her op-ed was I almost died. So what? <laughs> and I said, I got to talk to her. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Very good. So I don't want to convey the message that this is like something that just like ought to happen, but it's, it's a fascinating phenomenon. Now, I asked the psychologist, well, how often does it happen? So their, their tongue-in-cheek answer is anywhere from 30 to 90% of cases. And the reason it's such a no weird number. Because no follows up. Well, no, because it's like it depends how you measure growth. Sure. So, the 90% side would be, I wake up in the morning uh, glad to be alive. You know, I'm appreciative of still being here. That's a growth response. Sure. But it's not the same growth response as a Marietta Yeager. Right, right. The book is Jolt, Stories of Trauma and Transformation by Mark Miller. Um, mostly stories about individuals who've had to cope with major changes in their life. 
But I want to project this to, uh, for lack right, of a to better phrase. To waking up to Trump being elected? Well, that would be one example. <laughs> yeah. National traumas, mm-hmm. Parkland yeah. shootings, yeah. Right. Um, um, natural disasters like the hurricane season we were yeah. just through or, or whatever. Is, is there a way to extrapolate from individuals coping with trauma to this national experience where we all end up fixated on the television or social media but wonder what to do next? Well, so two observations about that. One is I think in stories like Parkland, we see post-traumatic growth playing out live before our eyes. Mm -hmm. But we don't very often, we the media, we don't stop very often to freeze that frame and ask what's going on there. You know, we just kind of almost take it for granted. So for example, the Sandy Hook parents are now back in the news because of Parkland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's the Sandy Hook parents five years later still fighting right. for change. But that's just sort of taken for granted. What I'm doing is freezing the frame and saying, what really is inside that story that turns these people into these courageous fighters, okay? Uh-huh. So you're asking the question though, is there something like sort of a mass trauma phenomenon. Do we grow as a, as, a, as a people when we suffer as a people something we didn't cause or yeah. but that, that ends up? I think it's possible. I've interviewed a couple of psychologists who study PTG, post-traumatic growth, about this, who kind of, their response was when I posed that theory. Like I said to one, is it possible that half the United States right now is traumatized by the, the, you know, the ascent of an authoritarian regime in, mm-hmm. the, in the White House? And her response was, really interesting theory. It needs more study. But she didn't dismiss it. So, and she's done a little bit of work on sort of group response. It's sort of, she's, this is a woman who's done some studies on what happens in a small Midwestern town that has a flood. And she's studied the community. But at the national level, I, you know, look at the Me Too movement. I, the way that caught fire, I think that's a traumatic response. Yeah. I, I, I can't prove that clinically. Oh, I, but we, I, I, in my gut, I, having I studied it at the individual yeah. level, I think that's the case. Or the way the city um, uh, uh, grieved the the shooting of the police commander, um, to my mind, was another one of these things where I'm not sure, other than the natural uh, 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 wanting to to join with the family and this tragedy and all that, and you know that that you know wanting to support our police at a time when they've been under attack because of because of other issues, but I'm not sure what we're getting out of that as a city. Other than we went through the funeral and all that, and now the perpetrator has been charged. But I'm not sure yeah. that we're getting growth out of it. That's, that's well, why I was I intrigued. think that in these public stories, um, what you hope to get out of it is activism and change. That's about the best I could say. I and think, I think we're seeing that in yeah. a lot of cases. That's what you want to see. Yeah. That's what you want to hope for. So, again, we're talking to Mark Miller, who has authored a book called Jolt. Uh, stories of trauma and transformation, and while we just moved it to the general populace, you you are really dealing with individual stories. I I like the idea of moving it to a general mm-hmm. population thing. I mean, I recall being completely traumatized by Katrina, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 500 miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and I think there was a huge segment of the population going through that, and I have felt a general social malaise really since the uh, non-election of George Bush in 2000, which also had that effect. Um, if we switch over to, um, first of all, where do people get your book? Because we didn't have one to right. read ourselves so, before. Uh, now it's yeah, available. I encourage people to get it from their independent bookstore instead of the big you-know-who. Yeah, uh, And you. I'm going to be at City Lit Chicago on the 14th, Wednesday this week, talking about the book in Logan Square Great. and signing books. So come out there. 
or go to your other local bookstore and get so it. So it's, it's If they don't have it, ask them to order it. Right. So women and children first, booksellers. Go ahead. While we have you here, I can't help but ask a question about your main beat, which is yeah. retirement. Mm -hmm. And um, some of your hosts are of a certain age where Medicare and yeah. how we do Part B and Part D and right. all that figures in. What impact will the tax cut, which robs the government a lot of revenue, have on some of these things many of us were counting on in retirement? I think I'm concerned about Social Security and Medicare both. I think, not this year, but I think if the Republicans stay in control of Congress after the midterms, you could look for efforts to cut both programs in different ways. Say it loud, my brother. Say it uh, loud. Social Security in particular is a worry uh, for two reasons. One is we're facing um, a shortfall in the program's revenues around 2034. So something needs to be done there, whether it's an increase in taxes coming into the system or some cutting of benefits or some combination. Something's, there's gonna be a, a forcing event at some point. The other thing that's kind of an undercovered story, and I've, I'm ramping up now a big in-depth look at this uh, for Reuters, is the emerging, I would call it just a customer service crisis at the Social Security Administration itself that stems from budget cuts to their administrative budget that's been going on since 2010 as a result of all the, you know, the sequestration, et cetera, et cetera, back in the days when we cared about deficits. Right. You remember that? Yeah, I, I, um, I just, under a Democratic so president. Long ago. Social Security has lost um, almost 4,000 employees. 60 offices have been closed around the country. And there are huge backlogs. You've probably heard about the disability backlog where people, yes. there's these three-year waits. People are literally dying waiting to get their disability adjudication. But it goes way beyond that, even just more routine stuff that can take a year or more to get ta taken care of. I interviewed somebody yesterday, uh, a low-income Social Security recipient in D.C., who's been waiting a year for a $700 refund on a mistake that was made in her Part B premium for Medicare Yikes. being deducted from her Social Security. It wasn't supposed to be, long story short, wasn't supposed to be being deducted. She's waiting a year for 700 bucks. It's a very meaningful amount of money to this lady. Yeah. Uh, this kind of stuff's going on all over. And we're, we're just, cho what it is is we're choking this agency. We, you know, Congress it, is choking this agency, it, you know, it, it's absolutely outrageous. And before, we don't have time to get into the whole Medicare thing, but I'm experiencing we'll far more denial of coverage now that I'm covered by Blue Care Medicare Advantage, Blue Cross Medicare Advantage. They take my Part B premium and they handle all the rest. Well, handling all the rest means they're cutting, cutting, cutting. Mm -hmm. This is a private insurance agency that takes my federal money and taxes I've paid into for years and years and years, and other workers are paying into now to keep me so healthy in my retirement. You're like in the managed care version of Medicare, it sounds like. Well, it's That's P what it is. It's supposed to be a PPO, but they're yeah. treating it like managed care. Right. And, you yeah. know, it's it stinks. Yeah. Well, Coverage I had just two yeah. years ago through the same plan, I'm suddenly being cut off. Yeah, and that's a whole long story. We could do another episode. So we'll bring just you back. I'd bring you on the show to talk about that sometime. Any, anytime. I'm not going to talk about media and other news. I think we would just want to do one more plug for the book itself. Yeah, uh, yeah, we we would we would love to have you back. But um, you did you you plugged into a very meaningful uh, uh, subject with the retirement uh, crew uh, that's yeah. now reaching retirement. <laughs> the huge baby boomer. We all are getting our yeah. Social Security now. Glitch. Yeah. So you've you've got yourself a real good employment <laughs> stream there. There is demand for the information. Mark Miller, uh, author. Jolt is the name of the book. Stories of trauma and transformation. Good luck with the uh, with the book. Thank you. And with Thanks, your uh, your tour 
behind thanks it. Thanks for coming on. We'll Mike, see thanks. you at the YMCA. You bet. <laughs> you bet. You will. All Tom, right. thank Have you. Thanks weekend. to all you. You are listening to Live from the Heartland, WLUW 88.7 FM and WLUW.org. Check out this show on YouTube.com slash Heartland Media. Tape of many, many shows are there. We are now going to hear from Tukiman. Space. Space. Space.